Okay. Um, so we're going to be going through uh, this course uh, on Sundays as well as for the journey. Uh, we're talking about the idea of the unsaved Christian. We're going to be going through a resource by uh, one of our church partners. His name is uh, Dean Sarah. He wrote a book called uh, The uh, Unchurched uh, Christian. So, unsaved Christians. So, if you're looking for your resources, we'll be going through. And so, we're going to talk about tonight the case for reaching cultural Christians. And you may say, man, this sounds kind of counterintuitive. Like, why in the world do we want to reach people who are Christians already? Well, we're going to learn tonight that just because somebody says they're Christian doesn't mean that they are. And that the reality is for many of us, that could be the biggest harvest field that we actually engage in. In fact, that's our church right now. That's the fine church. We're reaching people who are in this category. And we don't make any bones about it. That's what God is supposed to do. So we're reaching people who believe they're in Christ but really are. Bible Christianity really can be summed up this way. It's the Bible Belt. It's one of the most difficult places to do ministry because in the Bible Belt, people, everybody says they're Christian. Everybody. No matter who they are, everybody says they're Christian. Um, this is what it kind of looks like. It's the idea that, um, hey, I belong to the church, therefore I'm in Christ and all this kind of thing. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. He said, thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign I have no understanding of the gospel. The moment you start thinking that you deserve heaven, as if you are some type of way, uh, man, you know, God's, uh, you've never done anything wrong, you have no sin in your life, you miss the truth of the gospel. In other parts of the country, it's clear that you're either a Christian or you're not. I mean, it's like, you know, you're either in Christ or you're not. In fact, I would think it would be a lot easier to do uh, ministry in other places because you don't have to give them all the mess. People just tell you straight up, I'm not in Christ. I'm not a Christian. Point blank. Here, everybody's saying. When we ask them what the gospel is, they can't articulate it. They don't know. You even ask the last time they get to a church, it's like, oh, you know, maybe Christmas, maybe Easter, that kind of thing. The reality is many people think they're Christians but have no concept of these things. Uh, severity of sin, the necessity of repentance, uh, message of grace, the overall message of the gospel. So the overall message of the gospel people don't have and don't understand. Many think that they're just fine with God and God is fine with them because they aren't atheists and have been in church since they've been a kid. That's a lot of people. So many people have been in church so long that they've been so churched that that is the gospel for them. So they can't really articulate even what it means to be born again. Ministry of the Bible can be summed up this way. You have to get people lost so they can actually be saved. You have to actually show people the reality of the gospel, the reality of their sin, so that they can encounter the true biblical gospel. They believe in a God, but don't believe their sin has done anything to separate them from Him or cause them to need the Jesus they claim to believe in. And this is what we see often with many, many people. So we see this idea of cultural Christianity. So cultural Christianity is what is practiced by most Americans. It's the idea that, I don't know if any of you travel abroad before, but we travel abroad. The reality is when you travel abroad, you know how we get caught up on, you know, pigmentation here? You travel abroad, it's a reality if you're American. And the reality is, like, you can go anywhere in the world. You can go to, I'm going to West Africa, I'm going to Europe, I'm going to Germany. And it's like the first thing is like, oh, you're American. By default, therefore, you must be a Christian. Because everybody in America is a Christian. No, that's not the case. And you know that's not to be not true at all. 
by more Americans than any other faith or religion. It can be found in Catholic churches, Protestant churches, South Midwest, high school football fields, patriotic events, patriotic celebrations around the dinner tables. This is the reality that we find people in. It looks very Christian on the surface, but it's merely Christian by culture. It's Christian by culture, Christian by culture, rather than conviction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a part of the equation. So for those who are saying that more or less cultural Christians, it has nothing to do with the gospel. So people who practice cultural Christianity, they're not atheists, they're not agnostic. They believe in God, or they'll say they believe in God. Uh, they take seriously their Christian traditions. So it's all about tradition, it's all about what we can do. These are the people that say, let's put prayer in schools. And they say, well, if we have prayer in schools, and therefore we can change the world. No, people need to be born again. People can pray all they want. If they're not born again, they have no assurance of heaven. They love things like activity scene, all these things. And some of these things are good, right? But they're not the gospel. Cultural Christians admire Jesus, but they don't really think or expect him to really lead their life. They don't expect Christ to truly lead their life. So the God of cultural Christianity is this, the big man upstairs. The big man upstairs. If they don't see him as holy, it doesn't matter if we sin against this holy God. None of these things. So it boils down to this. They are religious, but not saved. Religious, but not saved. We want to look at a couple of scriptures that talk to this specifically. 22.8% of the American population identifies themselves as this category of none. Essentially, they have no affiliation with any type of faith practice at all. So 22.8% of Americans identify themselves as this. As the social cost of Christianity increases, because it is, it's increasing in this culture that we live in, the, the, those who are nominal, they're just falling away. So really, it's a great booming you see happening now. As the cost of our Christ becomes a reality in America, you see more and more people saying, oh, I really can't follow this Jesus. So those who are nominal are going away, and those who just say, I have no affiliation, are on the rise. However, 70% of the U.S. population still identify themselves as Christian. But out of that 70%, how many are actually only cultural Christians? The idea of making disciples, the idea of living for the gospel. You want to know why so many uh, false teachers, you want to know why so many people make so much money off the Christian market? It's because of this. So many people, if I get one more phone call from somebody I do not know, trying to rebuke and correct it because I'm standing against false teaching. I think I'm straight. <laughs> I was just on a 50-minute phone call the other day. Of a guy who got upset because I was saying, hey, look, like, you know, make sure you stand in the gospel. Make sure you are have discernment about, you know, all these kind of things. That's the reality of who we are. Many people can't decide the church, but they can't articulate the gospel. So the question for us first is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 6. So you can see for yourself, you can articulate what is the gospel. Now that's the one question everyone should be able to answer if they're Christian. You should be able to articulate this is the gospel. 
Well, the gospel is laid out for us very clearly. First Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, it tells us very plainly what the gospel is. It says, It's for I pass on to you, as the most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to what? The scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the what? The scriptures. And that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. At one time, most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. The gospel can be summed up in this way. The gospel is the good news of Christ. This is what the Bible tells us. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died and he was buried and he rose on the third day for our sins. And was seen over by over 500 brothers at one time, according to the scriptures. And God called each person to respond to this message by repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Notice, we didn't say the gospel was how patriotic you are. We didn't say the gospel was how often you go to church. We didn't say the gospel was how often you give. We didn't say the gospel was your ethnicity. We didn't say the gospel was how many songs you know. No, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question is this, can you articulate that? Or even when I ask the question, what is the gospel? What answer would you have really given? That really shows where you are and what you really have sunk yourself in. You know, the gospel is the goodness of Christ of our Savior. Jesus even dealt with the religious and dealt with those who are not saved throughout his days walking on earth. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23, Matthew 7, 21 and 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the work of my Father in heaven. On that day, then you will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I want to announce to them, I never knew you depart from me, you lost prayers. Wouldn't that be the worst thing to ever hear in your life? Jesus was addressing those who were moral and religious. In fact, we're going to be preaching the scripture this week, and we, we won't go too deep into it now. They knew religion. They knew all these things. They saw the Savior right in front of them, but they rejected him. But notice, these folks did good things. Didn't we say grace before dinner? Didn't we vote our values? Didn't we believe prayers should be allowed in school? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we get misty eyed when we heard the God bless the man? Didn't we get missing out when we heard the old prayer crossing? None of those things matter. If you are not born again, you're not in Christ. Didn't we get money from the church? Didn't we own the church? All these things are good. They're not the gospel. What does this lead to? Well, self-righteousness. The root of self-righteousness is the belief that your own personal works justify you before God. Self-righteousness believes that you're good enough or you can be if you try hard enough. Many people get sucked into this trap. It, it, it's moralism. That's what it is. It's like if I can be moral enough, then God would accept me. The reality is you can never be moral enough. You can never do anything on your own. There's grace through faith in Christ. How? How self-righteousness? How does that leave you uh, empty and make fall short? Acts 4.12. Acts 4.12 says it's very clear. There is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. That 
When they proclaimed the gospel, you know what they did? They told of what Jesus did. They told what Jesus had done, that he died and he lived and he rose again. They never used some of the language he used. They never said, you know what? You didn't accept Jesus in your heart. Or Jesus died just for you. They just told what Jesus did, and they said what God commanded them to do. Repent. Trust. Faith in him alone. Jesus comes against self-righteousness. Instead of them saying, you know, didn't I? They should have been saying, didn't he? Did he do it? Did he go to the cross for us? The reality is Jesus, it's not that he really doesn't know, it's the reality that he doesn't know the spiritually because of their sin. They were not his disciples, they were not in his family, they stood unforgiven. That's lawbreakers, they stood unforgiven. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, it says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. We do the reverse. We say, God, it's, it's broad. No, the way is narrow. We walk this path, not by our own but by the grace and mercy of God. Many Americans, though, view God as a national mascot. Not as a God who demands our faith. You know, this, I know, look, this is, this is pushing against some cultural things. It is, it's good. It's great. I get, I get what some of the government folks are doing. Number one, if the government is involved, anything telling you about God, you better be concerned. <laughs> so everybody gets excited. Everyone putting God we trust all over the school. What God are you talking about? Are we talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Are we talking about the God who reigns on fire from heaven? Are we talking about the God who is holy, merciful, just, righteous, and good? Are we talking about the God who calls out immorality and calls into righteousness? If we're talking about that God, I can get down with that. Not the mascot of America. There is no saving faith that exists apart from commitment to Jesus Christ and believing the gospel. So the church must wake up that there's a false gospel of cultural Christianity that has given people a false assurance of salvation. You know, in the moment you see this and realize, I remember, I remember when I first came to the truth of this, I was like, wow. So being born again is not about all the things that I do, it's about what Christ has done. Yeah. And trusting in Him. Cultural Christianity is a mindset that places one security in your heritage, your values, your rights, a passage, such as your first communion, baptism from childhood, or even this idea of this generic being, rather than the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. There are many people who can be in the church, but not of the church. So many people that way. What am I saying to us as we kind of come to the last part of this? We're saying that if there's a reality of those around us who maybe have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, the gospel, that should concern us. It should concern us enough to say, man, Lord, if I have the true biblical gospel, I'm not lauding myself saying, oh, look, I got all the answers and I'm good. No, it's saying, man, if there's someone around me who has a false pretense of them being saved, what am I doing to pull them to the truth? What am I doing to reach them? The unsaved Christian in the Bible, the Bible gives really two uh, illustrations of those in the Bible before those are uh, groups after this. First, we see the wheat and sheep's clothing. So false 
creeping to the church, not because they, they look like false teachers, but because they look like angels. It always looks good. It sounds good. I mean, here's the thing. Satan is a, you know, not dumb. He comes in as an angel of light, right? It smells good, it looks good, but it's not true, right? The idea of, hey, you need to be moral enough and get to heaven. The false teacher, the false teacher digs deep into the community and can pose a threat to the church by manipulating and misguiding people. How? By creating division, uh, by deceiving with flattery, Romans six eighteen, by appeasing people by departing from sound doctrine, Second Timothy four three, by leading people astray from the gospel, by taking people captive through bad philosophy and theology. Colossians two eight. Also, they seem to have spiritual power and authority to deceive even the elect. Jesus talks about it. The last one, they're bringing swift destruction upon themselves. They're not folks that even see themselves among believers and then give a message that is anti-Christ, that is not the gospel. That's why I firmly believe when we talk about the mark of the beast, that it's not a physical mark, but it's actually taking the idea of not only rejecting Christ, it's actually take that very mark of the culture. You give in to the culture. You don't give in to the agendas. Guess what? We're going to take your job. You can't buy, you can't sell, and you better bow to bail. No. But they know something out of the hypocrite. They wear the mask of a Christian in order to be seen in the Bible by others with no desire to actually follow or worship Christ. In Matthew 6, 5 through 6. As we come to the goals of teaching, it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing And all the street corners can be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their own. The way you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, pray to your father in secret, and your father who is in season secret will reward you. Essentially, it's this John Blanchard said, it's a standing holiness. It's not an all inclusive Christ change of heart. It's a mask that they put on. The hypocrite seeks to deceive others for their own pride or appearance. Like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, these people often have a skewed, elitist view of their own morality, yet are unmistakably missing the fruit of a heart changed by God. I know pastors like this. They preach one way on Sunday, and ain't saved none of it on Monday through Sunday. But they know what to say. Some people go to churches like this. Pastor gets up, and you look at the word, just when preach the same thing over and over and over, and see no fruits of repentance, nothing, no, no power to gospel in their life. Oh, pastor got power. No oh, pastor is not saved. This is hard for us because we've been taught as Christians never to rock the boat for anybody. The most loving thing you can do is love enough, love somebody enough to give them the truth of Christ. We're not talking about beating people over. We're not talking about walking over saying, man, if someone really doesn't know Christ, shouldn't we love them enough to point them to Christ so that they may know the true living Savior? To the modern day, cultural Christians are just like the religious people of Matthew 7. The idea of being saved is unnecessary. That's just a format. No, that is it. That's, that's everything. Placing your faith and trust in Christ is everything. And this is what we want people to do, right? Look to the Savior who can save them from the judgment of God or wrath of 
God, the one who took our sin for us. The idea of living a good moral life is more important. I want to challenge you with something. You say, well, you know what? This all sounds all good and stuff like that. I want to challenge you with something. First, pray this prayer. All right? Say, Lord Jesus, give me somebody to tell God to this week. God's going to answer your prayer. I'm just going to tell you right now. It ain't going to be no waiting. It's going to be no terror. It's going to be you ask the Lord. He's going to put somebody in your path. Now, it may not come like you think. It may, it may be the most random person. He's going to put somebody. Ask them this question. Are you the person? And watch their response. Not yet, but not what some people are going to say. Yeah, I'm a good person. I'm guilty by it, that stole it, and then they had about the pain. Jesus confronts this right there and then. It doesn't always say you're good, okay, pop the pain. Well, the law of God says you should not pop. Have you ever told why? What about this? Even if you look at us in your heart, you committed a law. You see how the law becomes a mirror and it all of a sudden shows them the reality of their sinfulness? But it also shows in that we're not judging, right? We're not saying, oh man, we're the No. Guess what? It shows that we're broken as well. And if we're, we were in need of a Savior. And we share with them the good news that Jesus came and he died and rose again. And when you place your faith and trust in him, your sins will be forgiven. This is why morality, the idea of just living a moral life, is not all important. No, we look to the Savior who is. So as we Close this time together and go to group. I want to encourage you to join your discussions. Think of not only like the people that you know, right? Even think of yourself. You may be like saying, you know what, man, I'm just following this cultural missionary Christian Catholic. You may say, man, you know, maybe I have a place where I can trust Christ. You may have people in your family that you know. Hey, you know, I don't know if they're Christian or not. I really want to know if they really place their faith and trust in Jesus. I mean, about 